Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. That's where you are. If you're joining us by Facebook Live or audio or video podcast, or if you're sitting in our cafe today, God bless you. Welcome. It's Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. Is it a good day so far? Man, awesome. So good. Man, it's a full house. Choir's got nowhere to go. Uh, yeah, I happen to know there are four empty seats in the ladies' room uh, down the hall. The only, only empty seats I know of in the whole house. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about resurrection. It's hard to get. I mean, resurrection is a simple concept, but it's very, very difficult to believe for some of us. It was uh, little Reggie's, five-year-old Reggie, it was his very first pet. It was a black cat named, guess, five-year-old boy named his first black cat. He named it Blackie. Yeah, kids are so creative. Blackie was a cat, and then Blackie disappeared, and, and Blackie's gone for a long, long time. And you know how that is, especially as a dad, saying, oh my goodness, you know, where's Blackie? And uh, sure enough, dad found Blackie under the front porch dead. I mean, dead. And so... It's like, you know, i got to tell Reggie. How am I going to tell Reggie? I mean, it's just awful, you know, awful if you've ever been there as a dad. So, you know, he called Reggie in and said, Reggie, I, f- I found Blackie, you know. And he said, where is Blackie? He said, well, he's, he's dead. So, you know, Reggie just confused, brokenhearted. So, dad did whatever dad does. You know, he decides to have a little funeral. So they, they, they get Blackie. They wrap Blackie in an old towel. They go out. They dig a hole. They laid Blackie out in front of him there, and, and the dad realizes, you know, somebody needs to say some words. Oh, this is like a funeral. So dad, you know, you know tries to, you know, get himself together and say some words. I mean, it's, it's hard. Y'all been there? I mean, you ever tried to preach a kid's, you know, pet's funeral? This is the hardest funeral I'll ever preach. So anyway, dad just started talking. He said, well, Blackie was a, a good cat, a really good cat, but, but now we know that Blackie's going to be in a better place. Reggie said, where's Blackie going to be? Dad said, well, Blackie's, he gets a little choked up when he thinks about it. He said, Blackie's going to be with Jesus. Little boy looks back up and says, what does Jesus want with a dead cat? <laughs> you understand? Death we get. I mean, death we understand. Death we see. It's in our bones. It's in our blood. We understand death. Resurrection is something altogether different, which brings us to John chapter 20. This is one of the stories, and there are several stories that come to us from that morning when Jesus was found alive. One of those is in John chapter 20. This is just one of the accounts of how people discovered this amazing miracle. John chapter 20, verse 1. Read along with me. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. 
Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that had said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Well, then they went home. Mary, though, was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. Then she gave him his message. There was a 17-year-old girl. Her name was Millie. She was pregnant and sitting in the office of social services where she was about to be moved into her, I think it was her 15th, home. She was a foster kid. She was sitting there just looking uh, into her own lap. The social workers were busy. They brought in a family that was going to be her new temporary home. Her whole life was temporary. The woman who was going to be her foster mother, at least for a few days, came over to her, tried to introduce herself, tried to comfort her a bit. She said, Millie, you know, my, my name is such and such, and uh, you're going to go home with us. And she said, Millie, are you afraid? And Millie said, no. She didn't even look at her, just said, no, I've, I've been in a lot of homes. And then the woman said, words, trying to comfort her, she said, well, let's just hope this time works out for the best. Let's just hope this time works out for the best. And then Millie said words that uh, kind of difficult to imagine and then really impossible to forget. Let's just hope this turns out for the best, the woman said, and then Millie said, without looking at her, hurts too much to hope. Hurts too much to hope. You ever been there? Y'all know what that is? You ever hoped? And it didn't turn out. I'm not talking about, you know, just like hoping for, you know, a Reese's peanut butter egg in your Easter basket. I'm, uh, there are hopes and then there are hopes. And, and sometimes we set our hopes really high. We get disappointed and we, we learn not to hope so high. And then eventually, y'all, sometimes life gets so hard. It, it just hurts to hope. And, and that's where Mary is. Her, her name is Mary Magdalene. Uh, last name is just really just the town where she's from. Mary of Magdala is, 
is who she is. She's one of the several women they marry. It was a common name. Mary, it says in Scripture, was, was a person from whom Jesus had driven something like seven demons. So, so before she met Jesus, she was literally a demon-possessed, a woman completely taken over by evil. It's not so much in Scripture, but, but some uh, traditions say that Mary had perhaps been some sort of prostitute. We, we don't know that. We just know that before Jesus, she was a very, very different woman, a very different kind of woman. And, and, and Jesus changed her life, gave her hope. The Gospel of Luke, it actually says that Mary numbered among the disciples, which may you know, kind of freak you out because you're used to thinking the disciples only as men, but there are several instances where the Bible refers to female disciples, and Mary's one of those that was numbered among disciples. So, so as far as those who follow Jesus closely, there's almost nobody who followed him as closely as Mary. That means for whatever period of time from when she first began to follow until this moment, she, she surrendered her life to him. He, he, he became her everything. She gave up everything and followed him, Jesus. And according to the story, she followed him all the way to the cross. I mean, she was there, one of the few people who did not shrink back in fear or, or even the horror of the crucifixion. She simply let nothing, absolutely nothing pull her away from him, but, but she saw him die. Now, I don't need to go into the grisly details of crucifixion, but she saw him die a horrible death. And, and, and with him, with the death of this man, with the death of Jesus, the one she had, she had given her entire life to now, understand her, she's experiencing the death of her hope. Now, there are moments when it absolutely it, it, it hurts too much to hope. But, but it's a devastating kind of thing when you lose hope altogether. And some of us have been there. It, it's one thing to hurt to hope, but then sometimes hope is just gone. And I just need to, I need to tell you something very, very important. And, and that is just simply when, when you lose hope, when your hope is gone, when you lose hope, then all you have left is hurt. And Mary's in that situation now. She's lost hope. She has gone to the tomb on this particular Sunday morning and understands she didn't rush to the tomb to have Easter. No. She goes to the tomb to mourn. She goes to the tomb to find him dead because she saw him die. Now, I'm telling you, perhaps she should have been a little more prepared for the resurrection. Maybe she should have somehow held on to the words that he spoke when Jesus continued to tell his disciples how he would die and how he would be raised. But, but I'm telling you, on this particular morning, nobody's expecting resurrection. Mary's not expecting resurrection. Mary's expecting death. She saw him die. She saw the tomb where they placed his body. Mary knows exactly what to expect now, and it's not going to be anything good. She's lost hope. And when you've lost hope, the only thing you have left is hurt. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. It's interesting. Those words, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, 
It's the time of day. It's, it's before the sun comes up, so it's dark. So in that sense, the word dark there, that, that detail is just letting us know the time of day. It's just a physical reality. It's dark. But, but more than that, more than that, you've got to understand that when it says that Mary goes out and it's dark for her, it's also some sort of statement about her, her state of mind, her emotional state, y'all. It is darkness now for Mary. The, the light of the world, the light of her life, Jesus has been snuffed out. He's gone. He's dead. And she has no, no possible, no possible notion of what's going to happen next. She assumes that it's all over. It's dark. And if you listen to her voice, listen to the words that tumble out of her mouth over and over and over. What does she say? They've taken the Lord's body, and we don't know. We don't know where they put him. Every time anybody asks her a question, every time she opens her mouth, it's just, I I don't know. I I don't know. Dear woman, why are you crying? She says, I don't know where they've taken him. I don't know. We don't know. I don't know. It's it's darkness. Have you been there? In a situation where you just don't know anything anymore. You just don't know. She thought she expected to know where to find Jesus, and he's not there. And she knows that dead is dead, and and, and dead is the end. And so she has no idea now what to think, no idea where to turn. She's just there crying in the dark. Now, the the word cry there that's used several times for her, she's she's weeping. Mary was standing in verse 11, outside the tomb, crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. Understand, there are a couple of words that the Greek, the New Testament's written in the Greek language. We're all reading an English translation, of course. A couple of words that could have been chosen there to describe her weeping. One of those words implies just sort of silent, you know, silent personal sobbing. The kind of crying you do when you're by yourself or the kind of crying you do when you're with people and, but nobody hears you cry. It's just the, the tears coming down and it's just silent, you know, sobbing. And then the other Greek word... I guess we would translate with our English words, ugly cry. Y'all ever heard that? You ever seen my ugly cry? What's ugly cry? I mean, there's like the, you know, the non-ugly cry. We're just kind of, you know. But then what's ugly cry? Ah! I mean, ugly cry is ugly cry. You know, I mean, tears and moaning and wailing. I mean, the, the word used here is to bewail. Mary is wailing. I mean, this is ugly cry. I mean, it's not this pretty. <laughs> and we're talking snot bubble kind of cry in here. You understand? This is ugly crying. Mary's coming apart. She's absolutely coming apart. Understand? She's lost hope. And when you've lost hope, you've got nothing left but hurt now. And she has no idea where to turn. She is in the darkness physically, emotionally, spiritually. There's no light for her. She doesn't know where to turn. And all she can do is cry. All she can do is cry. And it's not the quiet kind of controlled cry. This woman is out of control. Crying, wailing, weeping, mourning. Have you been there? Have you been in that situation? It it is a most devastating thing to lose hope. Hope is a real simple. it's, It's a simple thing. Hope is just that, that confidence, that, that hunch, that, that belief that something good could happen tomorrow, for instance. Hope lets me believe that no matter what happens today, tomorrow can be a better day. 
That, that's hope. It's, it, it's a very small thing, but it is essential to life. Because hope is what gets you out of bed in the morning. Hope is what keeps you going. Hope is what allows you to endure difficult times, just knowing that, gosh, today was hard, but tomorrow may not be so hard. That's, that's how hope talks. That's how hope thinks. It's bad now, but it could be better. But understand, once hope is gone, there's no longer that sense that tomorrow gets better. When a person becomes hopeless, when the hope is gone, and the only thing left is the hurt, then you got to recognize that, that, that there's no longer any sense that tomorrow gets better. The idea is that now this is my life now. This is the end of it, and it never gets better, and, and there's nowhere to go, and there's going to be no more light. It's going to be always darkness, nothing but tears now. I mean, this is where you end up when hope is gone and, and when absolutely the only thing left is the hurt. But this is the marvel of the Easter story. And this is the part of the story that Mary doesn't know yet. But we're looking over her shoulder. And the very important truth, the truth that you can never let go of, is that tomorrow can still bring something good. Something good can still happen. It doesn't matter if nothing good happened today. Something good could still happen tomorrow. That's hope. It doesn't matter if nothing good's ever happened to you. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if nothing good has happened in a long, long time. It doesn't matter if you've seen any signs of something good happening. It doesn't matter. Something good can still happen tomorrow. This is the message of Easter. This is the message of hope. And you must never, ever lose it. Don't lose hope. Don't give up hoping. Because when you give up hoping, the only thing left is hurting. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Now, that, that's kind of the interesting part. All through the Bible, Christmas story, Easter story, all the stories where angels appear, what's the very first thing the angel has to say? Fear not. Why do the angels always say fear not? Why do they say fear not first? Because apparently, man, angels are some kind of you know, wild-looking things. And when people see angels, the first thing they think is, I'm dead. I'm, I'm dead. I mean, it's the human response. In Scripture, whenever a person sees an angel, they're just done. I'm dead. You know, I'm seeing angels now. It's over. It's over. The, the, the response is always fear. I don't really know what angels look like. When you go through Hobby Lobby and you hit that angel aisle, it's just a lot of naked babies with tiny little wings. I mean, like big, you know, big, like plump babies with little bitty wings. I mean, those wings are not going to lift that baby <laughs> off, you know. So, you know, our picture of angels are never, you know, it's like, oh, come here, baby. You know, it's, uh, our idea of angels is never a frightening thing. But every single time in Scripture somebody comes face-to-face -face with an angel, they freak out. It's fear. It's fearsome. And the angels always say, don't be afraid. Because they need to deliver a message. The, the word angel, angelos, it just means messenger. So they've always got a message to bring. But they got to somehow, you know, get you, you know, okay, take a deep breath. i got a message to bring, but don't be afraid. Here, breathe with me. <sighs> okay, now listen to the message. Every time people see angels, it's, they, they're frightened, but not here. Ever think about that? Mary looks into the tomb. She sees angels, stares them right in the face. They stare her in the face, and they say, Dear woman, why are you crying? 
I mean, they don't say fear not because guess what? Mary's not afraid. Is she brave? I don't know if it's courage at this point, but have you ever been at the place in your life where it's just like, okay, there is nothing that could happen to me now that would be worse than what I've already been through? I'm done being afraid because I'm past that. And I think Mary is past that now. She's past fear now. She passed fear somewhere around Good Friday. She's done being afraid. I mean, there's nothing now that could happen that could be as bad as what has already happened. So she stares the angels right in the face and says, because, because they've taken the body of my Lord. Notice the body. She's still looking for a body, a dead body. They've taken the dead body of my Lord, and I don't know where they placed it. She's not looking for Jesus. She's looking for a dead body. And I don't know where the dead body is. She's staring the angels right in the face. There's no fear here. She's done being afraid. They've taken the body of my Lord, and I don't know where it is. I don't know where they've taken him. And then she turns. <laughs> she turns, and there's somebody standing there. Somebody standing there. Scripture lets us know it's Jesus, it's Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. Okay, what? How does she not recognize him? I mean, what is up with this? Now, there are scholars who take this verse apart and say, well, you know, they got to explain this. How can a woman who knows Jesus, I mean, she'd been with him for three years. She could pick him out of any lineup, but all of a sudden, he's standing right in front of her, and she's talking to him like a stranger. How can she not recognize him? Some people say because of the tears. She's crying so hard <laughs> that she's not looking. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. Maybe so many tears in her eyes. I don't know that she just can't see. In all the movies, Jesus has like a, like a scarf. Like he's got a, a, a scarf over his head. And he's like, you know. So, like, the reason she doesn't recognize him is, you know, it's because he's, like, over here, you know, all covered up, you know. I don't know, maybe. All I know is, in my life, I have this terrible tendency just to see what I expect to see. You know what I mean? I, there are things I could be totally blind to because I don't expect them to be there or I've stopped looking for them. And so at that point, man, I, I, could, I could be right there and never see them because you don't expect to see them. Again, Mary's looking for a dead body. Mary saw Jesus die, and she's not expecting to see Jesus. That, that's the thing. Jesus asked the very same question the angels just asked her. What's the question? Dear woman, why are you crying? Now, by now it should be obvious, but it's still an excellent question to ask her. Because again, who's asking now? Jesus is asking. Now, there should have been some hint for her when angels in an empty tomb are asking the question, dear one, why are you crying? I mean, by now she should be catching on, but she's not catching on. She's slow to catch on to what's actually happening here. She's slow to catch on to the actual resurrection of hope in her own heart. She's slow to catch on to, to the fact that Jesus is alive. So it's now Jesus asking her, Jesus asking, why are you crying? 
Why are you crying? And then Jesus follows up with another question. What's the second question? It's the good one. Who are you looking for? Okay, who's asking? Jesus. Who's she looking for? Jesus. This would almost be funny if you stopped and thought it through. She's talking to Jesus. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? I'm looking for Jesus. Just tell me where he is. I'll go get him. Tell me, do you know where he is? She's talking to, say it, Jesus. Talking to Jesus. I think the simple lesson right here in this part of the story for us, you can feel very far away from Jesus, but that doesn't mean he's not very, very near to you. Never felt so far away from him? This is Mary. Oh, he's gone. I don't know where he is. I don't know where they've taken him. I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere to find him. Just tell me where to find him. And he's standing right there. In your life at the present moment, how close do you feel to him? Are you aware that he's with you always? I don't think it's so much that Mary's looking for Jesus now. I think at this point in her life, she stopped looking for him. She expects a dead body. She's not looking for Jesus alive anymore. So Jesus asks the greatest question ever, who are you looking for? Jesus, she says, I'm looking for Jesus. They've taken him. I don't know where he is. But if you tell me where he is, if you've moved him, she thinks he's now like the, like the guy that takes care of the, the, the cemetery, the gardener. It's like, if, if, if you've moved him to another tomb, another grave, just tell me which one. Tell me where I'll find him. And then here's the turning point. And I don't really understand this except that it's just beautiful. And sometimes beautiful things you don't try to explain. You just, you just stop and just pause at the power of the beauty of it. Because in this moment, the only thing Jesus does is say her name. She says, just tell me where he is and I'll go get him. Wherever I need to go, I'll go find him. And Jesus just says, Mary. He just calls her name. Mary. And it's in that moment. I don't know what that means. Exactly. Just, just her name. Her name on his lips somehow had power to wake her back up. Her name on his lips had the power all of the sudden to, to bring something dead back to life in her. And, and that dead thing coming back to life in her was hope and faith and love. He just says, Mary, and the power of her name on his lips changes everything for her. And she says, teacher, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden she knows, all of a sudden she believes, and all of a sudden, all of her tears are gone. It's no more crying for her. It's just clinging and, and, and laughing and, and holding to him and saying his name over and over and over. Teacher Jesus, do you understand the beauty of that? It's just her name, her name on his lips. I think the simple lesson there for us 
is even if you don't know Jesus, he still knows you. You don't know him. You don't have his name on your lips very often, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know your name and speak your name with love. He calls you by name, and the power of your name on his lips changes everything. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. And then she gave him his message. Wow. Okay, the end of that story with Mary is so different than the beginning of that story with Mary. Do you see that? Did you see that? Man, this starts out a hopeless woman, hurts too much to hope. A woman in the dark, physical darkness, spiritual darkness, emotional darkness is crying and crying and crying. I mean, she got nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. She doesn't know what to do now. And then just the speaking of her name, encounter with the living Jesus, and it changes everything. At the end of this story, this woman is running through life with joy. She's running through life, and she continues to do so. There will be nothing, nothing that can ever take that joy away from her now. There will be nothing, nothing that can ever take away her hope now. Do you understand? Because the tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. And that means there is nothing left for us to fear. There's nothing that can rob us of our Easter hope. There's nothing that can take away your Easter joy. He's alive. He is alive. And I recognize that for some of you, that still doesn't mean much. I I get it. I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're listening. Stop for a minute and think about what that means for you. I'm saying that Jesus is alive, and I'm talking about joy. And and there are many in the sound of my voice who know that joy and know what it is to come face to face with the living Jesus. But I don't know, some of you just don't. You watch people in church, you've seen people in this very house this morning just lifting their hands and singing like crazy people. And you're thinking, what in the world did they have for breakfast? but what, what is that that makes them like that? Are they crazy? I mean, do they, are they off their medication? So let's be real clear. I, I want you to understand the truth of this message. I'm not asking you to feel something. I'm not asking you to feel anything. Many of us in this house would say that we feel the living presence of Jesus. You may feel nothing but drywall and lights. And, and I'm telling you, that's okay. I'm, I'm not asking you to feel anything. Scripture never asks you to feel something. Instead today, I'm just asking you to believe something. And believing is different. I can believe something whether I necessarily feel it or not. I, Belief is a choice. I'm asking you this morning to believe something. Whether or not you feel him, see him, know him, I ask you to believe Jesus lives.
that the story that I'm telling this morning, that we're all telling one another, that the story that Christians celebrate all around the world today, you're asked to believe that it's true. Maybe for a starting place, believe it's possible. And if it's possible that he lives, then would you believe that it's possible that he's very near to you? Maybe he's always been near to you. From the moment you took first breath, maybe he's never taken his eyes off of you. Maybe in all of your life when you've never, ever felt close to him, would you believe that he has never, ever been far away from you? And, and while you may feel silly saying his name, Jesus, you know, like when people talk about Jesus at work or school, it seems silly to you. The name Jesus seems kind of silly to you, like Sunday school, you know, old ladies kind of silly. But if, if, if his name on your lips doesn't seem to have a lot of power, would you consider for the moment power of your name on his lips, that he knows you by name and calls out to you. Consider for the moment the possibility that he's calling out to you by name. What would you do? If this were all true, what would that mean? I, I can say this. If Jesus lives, and if he's that near to you, and if he calls you by name, if you will believe, it changes everything. I don't know how your story started out, and I don't know all of the dark chapters between the beginning and now, but all I know is the end of it all can be so very different. Mary Magdalene starts out in darkness and hopelessness, knowing nothing but the taste of her own tears, but at the end of her story, she runs through life with joy. You understand? If you believe... Your life can change in very much the same way. The, the, the darkness, the, the, the being tired of not knowing, the being tired of nothing but, but, but tears and loneliness, and all of that can change. I'm just asking you to listen today, believe that maybe he lives and calls you by name. And if he calls you by name, I just want to encourage you, go to him. Listen for his voice. Let him live with you, for you, in you. Believe. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, it sometimes hurts too much to hope, and it sometimes just feels very, very difficult to believe. It's hard, Lord, to believe without somehow silencing all the doubts. It's hard to believe, Lord, without also wondering what that's going to mean for our lives from this point on, Lord. If we believe a message so extraordinary, then that means our lives can't be the same. 
So help us today, Lord Jesus. First off, to recognize your nearness to us, although we sometimes feel so far away. And help us, Lord, today to understand the power of our name on your lips. That when you call us, Lord, when you call us by name, you awaken something in our souls, awaken something in our darkened minds, Lord. You bring something that's been dead in us to life. Lord Jesus, today we just ask you to call us by name, every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house, or to help them to begin to understand your nearness and your love and your power and the fact that you are alive. Having conquered death, Lord, you have all of the victory. And since you have all victory, Lord, that means that you're with us now and there's nothing for us to fear. There is no way that we can be defeated. There is nothing that can steal our faith, our hope, our joy, our love. Nothing can take away what you give us with your nail-scarred hands. So today, oh Jesus, be near to us and teach us what it means to draw close to you. Make believers of all of us today, Lord Jesus, that we might know the life that comes by your death, burial, and resurrection, which we celebrate today. For Jesus' sake.